The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Uh, just taking a quiet holiday season, solitary walk in the field behind our home in Kawartha Lakes before we kick off the last episode of the year. A year that has been, well, fill in your own blank. No doubt you already have many times. <laughs> hey, 2020, don't let the door slam you in the arse on your way out. How many times have you heard that salute? I know I've used it more than once. But here's what I've also come to realize, to accept as we tick down the hours to this Annus Horribilis. I mean, I, I, I do want to slam that door shut, but I don't want to lock it either. I actually want to open it every so often. Not just to peek at the past year, but, but to really look at it, absorb it. You can't help but see all the hardship. But here's the thing, open that back door to 2020 and you'll also see some good. Uh, the person who said, no, you go first when you met at the end of that checkout line that seemed to snake all the way to the nearest lake. The cashier who, even though they were wearing a mask, you could tell, you just knew by the tone in their voice, how they addressed you, you could just tell that they were somehow still smiling. Uh, the vet who hired extra staff to meet fewer clients in the parking lot with their pets, more staff to serve fewer clients because of safety protocols. The neighbors we checked in on, the neighbors who checked in on us, there was a lot of hardship, but also a lot more kindness. So yes, absolutely, slam that door shut to 2020, but every so often, open it just a crack so that you can see and remember how in some ways 2020 made us better. As much as it's continuing our long-standing tradition of playing a big New Year's show, it's also a totally unique show for us, something totally different. So there are unique challenges. And that is Nick Rose, one of the founders of Dwayne Gretzky. You may remember in a previous episode, you heard from Nick's musical partner and his childhood friend from Lindsay, Tyler Kite. Nick joins us later to discuss, among other topics, the band's live online and free New Year's Eve concert. A Place Called Home held a virtual town hall recently. We've got some clips from that meeting. And Advocate Associate Editor Nancy Payne drops by to tell us about a piece she has in the January edition of the magazine, inspired by an encounter she'd never had before in Kawartha Lakes. New to hunting, but an old soul's way of describing his recent passion, Jason Bain opens up about how hunting is connecting him to nature and family. My name is Denny Grignell, and this is 2020's last episode of The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Really looking forward to some live theater in 2021. I'm, I'm confident we'll get there. You know, theater that we could actually watch live right in front of us, not on a screen. Until then, it's a tough go for stages like the Lindsay Little Theater. They're holding a fundraising campaign. You can get details on that via its website. The Tiny Theater is a unique space in Kawartha Lakes. Unique not just for the patrons seated in one of the 50 or so seats, but special for the performers in what LLT offers them on and off stage. 
I met with LLT actors Sydney Warden and Nate Copeland outside the theatre on George Street in Lindsay. That theatre is so special to us and to a lot of people. And it's just the environment here, when you stand on this ground, it's just really special. You step on, on, the, on the property here, um, even though our property is sometimes falling apart and falling down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we're a team here and we have lots of great memories here too. I actually became a part of this theater when I was really young. I was just, I was a little kid. I thought I was growing up, but I was a little kid. And I'm so glad that I went because this place has changed my life. This place is like, it's a home, it's a family. It's changed me in so many ways. I've grown up here. It's watched me from like this small, like 13, 14 year old girl to like, I'm 18 now. I just got accepted to university and like, it's just been strange to have this like such an amazing place watch me grow up over time. Um, so it's good to have both our perspectives because I'm almost 40 so there's the, <laughs> the, the different ages there um, but it shows you there's a place for everyone here. Um, so actually my grandparents and my dad were part of the Lindsay Little Theatre in the 70s um, but I was apprehensive to walk through the doors because I thought maybe you had to already you know I don't know, have a degree in drama or um, already be part of a group and I didn't know you could just sort of be anyone and just and just walk in um, but then I heard about a friend of mine that was doing a play here so I jumped in just backstage because I was too terrified to step out on stage <laughs> absolutely um, and everyone just like just welcomes you with open arms and it, you're part of the theatre family. Oh, it's hard to explain. Maybe it is because it is such a small theatre too that it's it's not really intimidating. It does feel cozy that people just come up and talk to you. Yeah, I definitely feel like Nate said that this theater just welcomes you with open arms, no matter what background, where you come from, who you are, where your abilities are, what you're looking to do in a production, anything. It really feels like I came here, I was super awkward. I was like 14, I was so bad. And people just came up and talked to me and that was so different to just be welcomed and like ask like, oh, what are you interested in doing? And to have people really work with you like I'm being paid attention to, we're being paid attention to as a group, like our needs are being met. When we think of theatre in Kawartha Lakes, um, this it's not so much that the LLT is forgotten, but it's not necessarily the first one that people think of. How do you feel about that? I think that the theatres in Lindsay just focus on different ideas and types of theatre. Uh, the Academy does great uh, productions with lots of set and changes and dramatics and they do a lot of musicals which are really good and LLT focuses more on um, like the spirit of acting like character work really uh, down-to-earth and gritty stuff and I feel like there are just different forms of theater that are happening here and neither one diminishes the other they're both equally as important um, also we've had productions with um, more elaborate sets still small we're more like a shadow box theater yeah, totally. um, yeah but we've also done productions with just the black backdrop and just boxes as props and it really does focus on focus on the acting what void is there in your life right now that it's not filling uh, I really miss the community of just a place to go because I feel like one of the things that's really changed with coronavirus is you have to plan extensively anytime you go anywhere. It has to be a plan, it has to be okay how many people are there, like what time are we being there, who's gonna stagger starts, like are we all driving, mask situation, there's all of those things. But LLT used to be a place where you could just show up 
Like I would show up to rehearsals of productions I was not even in and just sit and watch. It was a safe space to go for anyone at any time. Well, even like today, I was really excited to see Sydney because I haven't seen Sydney in a while. <laughs> and we really are a family here. And it's um, it does bring a tear to your eye when you think about how you're not seeing your family. Being a transgender man, um, when I started at this theater, I was not out as transgender. And um, I'm gonna cry probably. <laughs> but uh, my theater family really are the, are the people who backed me. Um, just just to have that that support um, the encouragement to get out from backstage to on stage because I felt like I needed to be at a certain point in my transition um, before I could step out on stage and they encouraged me to try it even though um, I wasn't where I thought I needed to be and I ended up taking a lead in a play it was just a really safe place for me to explore my identity and um, on the stage and with these characters too like um, just bringing out different aspects of who I really am and I felt safe here to be able to do that. I don't know where I would be honestly if I wouldn't have taken that step and joined the theatre. We have an appreciation for what this theatre means to the people inside the theatre. Mm -hmm. What does it mean for the people outside? What does it mean for the community in Corth Lakes? Um, I think it means a great deal to the community. We have lots of people who come see every single show. They'll be there anytime we open up the curtains. And that's really important that we continue to keep it going for those people. And I think it's just a great community for the people on stage, the people backstage, the people in the seats. It's just a great place for everyone and I think that's really important. This is Melissa Weems from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. I'm just doing some calculations here, and uh, yep, my math is still correct. We are 100% local media and part of the Advocate magazine. And in the January edition of the magazine, available in a few days, you will find a feature story by associate editor Nancy Payne. Nancy joins me in our studio now, across the hall from her home office. Now, Nancy, this story was inspired by an encounter you had in Lindsay? Yeah, it was a little unusual because we're kind of used to seeing, unfortunately, seeing people on the street in Toronto sleeping over a grate or slouched in a, you know, a, a doorway or something. We but, almost expect to see that when we're in those cities. Well, yeah. sadly, yeah. But this this was really different. I was just putting groceries in the back of my car. It was in December. It was a kind of a cold day. And this young woman, well, you know, I'd say maybe late 20s, early 30s. Uh, came up to me and just said, uh, um, could I have $2 for the bus? And she was very polite. Like, that's not exactly how she asked it, but she asked quite nicely. But uh, it was really unusual. I mean, I was in Lindsay. I was in a grocery store parking lot. It was not something I'd encountered before. Can locally. I ask how she was dressed or? Yeah, I mean, she was she was dressed for the weather. She had long blonde hair and a toque and a, a jacket open over a hoodie. Um, and like I say, she was pleasant. Her manner was quite... Um, you know, like a normal conversation. It was, uh, but it was unexpected, I have to say. So if you had walked past this woman in in one of the aisles of the grocery store, you wouldn't have thought anything different than she was just a shopper? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So how did you respond to her request? Well, I, I have to say, I, I kind of froze for a split second. You know, these things are always longer in your head, but I just thought, what 
do I do here? Because in, you know, Toronto or a bigger city, I'm kind of prepared for it and kind of your armor is up a little bit. But, you know, this is probably a neighbor. This is somebody who lives in the same community I, I do. I mean, I'm guessing. So, yeah, it was a different kind of experience. You kind of have one way of responding when you're somewhere else. But here in Lindsay, where I think maybe, maybe I've been asked once before for change. And that was a very kind of half-hearted situation on Kent Street. This has really never happened before, so I wasn't sure what to do. Um, you know, one response that I've heard in the past that I have used in the past in other places were, uh, was, um, you know, just to ask somebody, is there something you need? Is there something I can get for you? But she had asked very specifically for, I think, a toonie for the bus. And ultimately, I just kind of did a, um, actually, no, I'm sorry, not today. And she said, okay, thanks, and just walked away across the parking lot. But it really stuck with me. And I just, I didn't know if I had done the right thing. Did she seem disappointed in, in her tone or voice? Could you glean anything from that or? say so she was she was polite um but it was it was more the after effect with me I just thought huh like I say you kind of grow a bit of a shell in other places but in your own community I don't know did I do the right thing okay so what's the answer then (laughs) well um I kind of want people to read the article to find that out but I did talk to a couple of people to get their perspectives because I know how interconnected all the local social agencies are and the churches. They're really good at talking to each other and helping people in need. So I talked to Reverend Linda Park from St. Andrew's Presbyterian. I got her perspective both as an individual and um, from the perspective of the church because most of the local churches kind of have a process for dealing with people who come knocking at the door looking for help. So I kind of got her perspective. And she told me a really great story about when she was going to theological school in Montreal and and that really changed her perspective on um, how to approach somebody when they come up to you asking for change. So I found that very meaningful. And I also spoke to David Tilley of A Place Called Home because I figure they are the most directly connected to people who might be in that situation. And he gave me some really good insight. Um, And so, like I say, I don't want to give the whole story away, but I will say that two things you can always go by are, you know, give to charity yourself, um, you know, do something and be compassionate. Even Um, if you have to say no. Even if you have to say no. And both people I talked to gave me some really good things to think about in this situation that I'm going to apply, I think, in the future, no matter where I am, because compassion can do a whole lot, even when you're maybe not comfortable giving in that particular situation. Okay, we'll look for that in the the January issue of uh, The Advocate magazine. Thanks so much, Nancy, for dropping by. Well, thanks for your interest. Nancy Payne is the associate editor of The Advocate magazine, which you can pick up at Foodland in Bob Cajun and Sobeys in Fenelon Falls. Now, Nancy mentioned she spoke with David Tilley, executive director of A Place Called Home. The homeless shelter recently held a virtual town hall to discuss its plans for the construction of a new facility. Right now, residents of APCH are being housed in individual rooms in a motel in Kawartha Lakes. Here are some of the comments from that town hall from David Tilley and Nicole Bryant. She is the shelter manager of APCH, as well as Mike Perry, local social activist and executive director of the City of Kawartha Lakes Family Health Team. 2020 like uh, has been just a, a, an insane year for a lot of us. Uh, it's, it's thrown many curveballs. The, the economic well-being and, and social safety nets of many communities have been tested and stressed. And uh, of course, the city of Court of the Lakes is no different. We need to blend the good old days with the safety of the new days ahead. A purpose-built shelter that couples our unique service delivery model with a new pandemic-proof facility. 
a perfect merriment of safety and the caring supportive environment that a place called home is known. In COVID, for. one of the spinoff effects is that because poverty and homelessness and precarity of employment has touched so many of us, we don't seem to be blaming each other anymore. It was deemed very early, very early on that uh, the shelter would not be an adequate space uh, because it certainly isn't pandemic proof. There's a lot of congregated space, a lot of uh, shared uh, living rooms, shared bathrooms, uh, some shared rooms. So there was a lot of points of, of potential transmission. As I've said in the past, it is very hard to hate the person who cooks you dinner and eats across the table from you. And it's much easier to accept help from someone who walks beside you than someone who walks in front of you. We need to raise this money and rebuild for the residents for the staff and for the community, because we need to go back home. Hi, I'm Nick Rose from Dwayne Gretzky and Teen Ravine, and you are listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. We'll hear from Nick Rose and his band's music a bit later in the program, which is brought to you, like all our episodes, by Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, Carissa and Jason Ward and their team have you covered. Find them and learn what they can do for you at wardlegal.ca. Jason Bain grew up in a family of hunters in Kawartha Lakes, but oddly, it wasn't something he gravitated to until very recently. And while Jason may be late to that hunting party, it hasn't taken him long to absorb and appreciate what it offers beyond just the bounty. I spoke to the married father of two young children recently in his backyard in Lindsay. Jason is also managing editor with Ontario Out of Doors magazine. My thoughts on hunting were always sort of informed by my experiences as a youth. So I grew up around my dad's hunt camp. And so I was very familiar with the camaraderie that came with hunting and sort of, you know, how important it was uh, and, and how it fit into the lives of, of hunters and, um, you know, how much they look forward to it every year. I just sort of focused on fishing and I never really, you know, was, it wasn't really a lack of interest. It was more just, I had bigger priorities, I think at the time, you know, I was getting into writing and I was really into, wanted to work for the newspaper sort of thing. So, and photography, which got me into journalism to begin with. So it just wasn't high on my list of priorities, but as sort of, you know, uh, life would have it, um, you know, I had this opportunity to, to sort of switch careers and I just thought why not you know uh, it, it's just suddenly appealed to me far more. When you look back on that does that not seem a little ironic that you were surrounded by hunting and hunters and hunting culture and you hadn't embraced it does that seem a little? It definitely felt a bit ironic um, and it's funny to think that you know even though I felt very familiar with a lot of the aspects of hunting um, suddenly I'm realizing you know uh, I'm standing on my first watch and a deer crashed through the woods behind me and made a big noise and you know instinctively I sort of straightened up and I cocked the shotgun that I was holding and then waited and the deer didn't pop out and, and then realizing wait a minute I've got to uncock this shotgun this is a like a 40 year old gun um, and I had to think back to my recent uh, training on how to you know operate a gun and just sort of you know feeling comfortable with something but realizing that you know I didn't have a lot of those uh, moments to begin with, you know, I really was a beginner in a veteran's shoes, if you understand what I mean. It was a, a really strange feeling. As you're getting out of the vehicle, you know, you're, you're, you've got your, your gun in your hand and you're walking out to the site where you're going to be hunting. Take me back to that moment. What, what, what were you feeling? 
it was just a wave of nostalgia you know i understood that you know that it's it's really important to get up early to get out there for first light and you know i was fortunate that they gave me a really prime spot on my first watch you know um the 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 man that runs the camp you know took me on his four-wheeler and ran me up the mountain sort of thing and put me off in the spot uh that they like to they call it the flintstone car it's a large rock formation that's almost perfectly suited for sitting because you're sort of in between two boulders and sitting on another rock and uh you know as i sat there and started to watch the light come into the forest in front of me that's when it really hit me you know i looked down at my my grandpa's shotgun uh, on my lap which i was holding for the first time and you know um this this is a special gun that my grand my late grandfather gave to my dad probably 25 years ago with the intention of giving it to me someday when i became a hunter so it just all kind of hit me at once and I found myself, you know, getting wet in the eyes and realizing, you know, looking up at the sun and just feeling my grandpa's presence. Um, I get the sense you're feeling that right now. Yeah, I kind of get goosebumps again just thinking about it, you know, and uh, I'm not a particularly smiley guy. I, a lot of people that know me know that. And neither's my dad, but my dad was just all smiles, you know, being around uh, a hunt camp with his son for the first time like, as an, you know, a licensed hunter this time. You know, it was only a couple days because of sort of the uncertainty that 2020 brought. We didn't actually schedule the full week, but uh, we're certainly looking forward to doing, spending more time doing it next year. What I find interesting in your whole description of this experience, Jason, is never once did you mention, and I was really looking forward to bagging my first deer or anything. How much did the actual hunt, the, the catch or the kill or whatever it's called, weigh in that whole experience? I think if you speak to a lot of hunters, they'll feel the same way that, you know, the a lot of us even avoid saying the, the kill, right? It's the harvest or you're finding other words to describe it because really it's, it's the least favorite part of the whole experience. You know, it's sort of, um, we talk a lot about reverence and, and you know, when you... Uh, when you harvest a deer and taking that moment to respect the animal that you, you the life that you've just taken right but sort of looking at it as you know you're putting lean protein on your table it's a very organic self you know sufficient way of of living it's a very traditional uh, a very strong tradition that many families have had to be honest i didn't think about it a whole lot until afterwards and you know talking to some of the guys there and realizing that you know it's sort of a rite of passage for a new hunter that you know if you do shoot your first deer well you're going to be the one to field dress. It's not something that I'm particularly looking forward to, but I understand it comes with the territory. What are your impressions of, of hunting now compared to what they were before this experience? I think it just sort of helps me frame, uh, you know, the value that it has in our lives. I, I absolutely feel part of it. I sort of always felt, obviously, a little bit on the outside looking in, right? Because, you know, as much as I was aware of it and knew how it worked, I wasn't really part of that group because I wasn't actually a licensed hunter so now that I've been thrown into it I sort of feel part of it and I sort of you know I'm, I'm getting goosebumps again just thinking about it because it's a really special sort of thing it's a it's a, a special connection to the the land around us and you know when you you think about the time that you can sit there on a watch and you're just sitting motionless for hours and it's you know it's very uh, it's very good for your mental health and, and just thinking about your life and it's just a way to slow down and sort of you know uh, really appreciate what we have. My name is Jason Bain. I'm from Lindsay, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes.
Ward's Lawyers. They are the reason you are listening to this program right now for free. You can find them and learn about their many legal services at wardlegal.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on our very own Facebook page. Please tell your friends about us and consider subscribing to the program on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so that a fresh new episode just magically lands in your phone machine at the beginning and middle of each month. I want to pay my room Love is shade of blue Yeah, like a robin's egg I want to feel that way I wonder if I should Probably do me good Yeah, just to shake it up that is a song called Everyone by Teen Ravine, a band fronted by Nick Rose. You may also be familiar with Nick's other creative outlet, Dwayne Gretzky. That's the band Nick co-founded with his childhood friend, whom he grew up with right here in Kawartha Lakes, Tyler Kite. If you've seen Dwayne perform live, maybe at our local drive-in last September, you know its 10 members are one solid, tight party band complete with a brass section, belting out hits we all grew up with, with a special Dwayne flavor. My life is so hard, I need a photo opportunity, I want a shot of redemption, don't want it up a cartoon, a cartoon graveyard, bonded, bonded, dogs in the moonlight. Now, the band would normally be pumped right about now about its annual New Year's Eve concert, usually at the Danforth Music Hall in Toronto. But, well, you know the backstory to why that can't happen right now. So instead, a live-streamed, free Dwayne Gretzky concert. Yes, all the members safely distanced in their rehearsal space. A concert we can all take in this New Year's Eve without having to leave our couches in Court the Lakes. I spoke to Nick, a former IE Weldon student, who was at his home in Toronto. So describe to me what the last year has been like to not be able to converge with, with your bandmates and your friends. Yeah, it's been very tough. And, you know, as we all know, um, we, you know, you can do your, we can all do our best to stay in touch and it's like, but there's something lost in the group email where you're touching base and you're chatting about things. It, there's, you know, there's just that disconnect. It was tough. And, and I think to everyone in the band's benefit, you know, to their credit, everyone, you know, took time for themselves and explored other interests. And so there was, I think a natural break. We took a break at some point, you know, it, uh, maybe this is a, a time to just take a, a bit of a breather. And so we kind of accepted that and we went our separate ways for several months. And, uh, you know, I think that was the right right call given the circumstances. You almost wonder if you would have taken the break had it not been imposed on all of us, really. So, yeah. Yeah, and we, that's, you know, we're, we're privileged, very privileged that we can choose to take a break like that, that we can kind of accept uh, that this the world has sort of spun off its axis and that we can we're very privileged to be able to say hey we you know maybe this is kind of a welcome respite how much of a role 
does that New Year's Eve show play, not only in your personal career, but, but your personal life? It's been such a strange year, obviously, as for, for all of us, and troubling to, for, for us as a band to be away from each other for so long and to not be able to do what we love to do. You realize you've sort of taken it for granted a little bit. Um, and the, this New Year's show, I mean, right now, because we're in the thick of things and there's so much logistics, so many logistics to work out and, and the preparation that uh, it's just kind of stressful in a, in a fun way to get ready for it. Because as much as it's continuing our longstanding tradition of playing a big New Year's show, it's also a totally unique show for us, it's something totally different. So there are unique challenges and I think it's, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Our New Year's shows are usually at the Danforth Music Hall for like, you know, 1,200 people who are having a great time. Um, so how do you translate that to a more intimate space where we're broadcasting the show to people's living rooms where they're by and large by themselves? So, do you, uh, so, how, so how do you translate that? Because you're, you're right. I mean, you're, you're so used to performing in front of a gazillion bodies. Well, we have the benefit of having each other. So... I, I do think that, you know, even pre-COVID, I think what made Dwayne Gretzky good uh, is that we have really good chemistry with one another and we perform for and with one another. Everyone is a, is a tremendous musician and they're good listeners and so they react to what others are doing. So, you know, we can still rely on each other. And then I think it's just like trusting that the audience is there and that they're enjoying it, even though we don't have that immediate sort of um, rapport that's right in front of us. Just sort of like taking a deep breath and and being aware of the cameras and knowing that they're the audience's eyes and that we can still communicate with them, even though we're not seeing them. And then lastly, it's like for our repertoire, maybe it's an opportunity for us to, we, we want to still maintain the party and fun, energetic vibe because that is so much of what Dwayne Gretzky is. But we can also sort of showcase some more dynamic moments and bring it down a little bit more than maybe we would do on a typical New Year's Eve show um, and showcase the like really wonderful musicality uh, of, of the band members. How has what's happened in the past 12 months affected your your song selection for this New Year's Eve party? I guess to some extent it is, you know, certainly we 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 do what we want to do and we want to we want to strike that balance of of not just playing bummer covid related themed songs to remind the viewer of how dire the world is right now. That's a sorry, um, that's a smart choice I would think, Nick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so we want to strike that balance of of just being our joyous selves musically, because again, that's why people I think like doing Gretzky um, as this really as a kind of fun escapism, but then also living in the real world and um, something emotional that's emotionally resonant or that feels the, you know appropriately themed, given the the year that was 2020, striking a balance 
to kind of hit all the marks. Well, you got to wonder if dancing in the dark is going to have a whole new meaning for you performing it this time around versus, you know, other other shows. Yeah, exactly. Hockey seems to come up often in interviews with you and Tyler. Do you care to draw a line between um, hockey and and what you and the what you're doing as a musician? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think it just so happens that Tyler and I, as you know, growing up in the in Lindsay uh, as young boys, we, I mean, we were both hockey obsessed. We both are alumni of the uh, Ops Flames. Oh, it was the township of Ops. Yeah, so no, I know Ops. Hey, I lived in Ops for years. I know it well, yeah. There you go. That's where we played our minor hockey. Yeah, well, I, I suppose there is. Yeah, I mean, like any team activity where you are, you know, you were relying on each other. You're sort of traveling at the speed of the slowest member. So it's all about um, playing to each other's strengths and setting each other up. And certainly there, that, that's uh, there's a connection there between like a hockey team or any sports team and a band, they are sort of similarly constructed in that way. We sort of let songs breathe and we can, we'll extend outros and solos and so on. We like to keep, you know, be, stay on our toes and, and adapt to whatever the, the moment sort of requires. And we will say like, all right, it's heads up hockey, everyone, you know, like we, <laughs> We'll say that on the stage, just like everyone, just be aware. Like we've got to keep your head up, um, as you would say to a hockey player. It's like you can't be distracted by staring down at the puck. You have to, you have to be aware of what's happening on the ice. You have to look around you. Um, so we, that's a common phrase we use on on stage. Is all right. It's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit of a heads up hockey. Oh, come on. What are you expecting, just emotionally, once you're all in that room together, performing live, albeit in a different kind of environment? I think I think it will be somewhat surreal and uh, a bittersweet, and you know I think it has been a challenging year, and I think I can only speak for myself, but you, you just try to carry on as best you can. Um, I did notice like in the, you know, a few over the past few months of just feeling quite down and, and just being like, oh, there is, you know, there is a sadness and just a feeling like, like there's a hole in one's life. And when we sort of gathered again in the fall, we, we prepared for a Halloween show. We played a drive-in Halloween show with the band. And the first time we got together and started rehearsing, I felt, I did feel like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And it was like, ah, oh, this is this is what's been missing, obviously. Like I, I took it for granted. I knew that not playing in the band was difficult, but that was the moment where it sort of crystallized for me. I was like, oh yeah, this is a huge hole in my life is not feeling the vibrations of music live with this group of people. I guess what I'm trying to say is I've already felt that moment, <laughs> uh, that sort of bittersweet, sad, um, surreal moment of sort of 
picking the band back up and um, playing with everyone again after a prolonged absence. But I'm sure I'll feel that to some degree again on, on New Year's Eve. told me 12 years ago that I would, 12 years hence, I'd be um, performing in this long-standing cover band, I wouldn't have believed you. It was not something that any of us sort of set out to do. We sort of stumbled into it and it was this really fun thing that kind of snowballed and then became a big part of our all of our careers. And I have no regrets about it because I really think that um, doing Gretzky is a special thing. From their New Year's Eve concert last year, that is Dwayne Gretzky and a pretty darn good version of a heart classic, Crazy on You. I know where I'm going to be this New Year's Eve at around 10 p.m., plunked on my couch with my laptop 
hooked up to the TV watching Dwayne Gretzky's live-streamed concert featuring Nick Rose. My thanks to Nick for making the time to speak with me. Go to DwayneGretzky.com for the easy details on how to catch that concert and also to buy the band's new CD and some t-shirts and oh, just some cool stuff. And also go to the uh, go to their website to see one of the coolest Zoom performances of a Tom Petty song with all the Dwayne Gretzky members playing in their individual homes. Big thanks to the people who make this show possible. Gerald Van Halteren is the man behind our wonderful theme and musical bridges. Our exclusive sponsor is Ward's Lawyers. If you need a lawyer, look them and their team up at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Quartha Lakes, is produced by me, Denis Grignon, with some help from Nancy Payne. Deep breath, neighbors. We've uh, we've been through this before, last spring, remember? But there's a difference now. Hope and light that we can almost touch. we just got to stay disciplined and safe and, well, kind to each other. Talk to you in 2021.